0: The, uh, the kindergarten odyssey continues to evolve. Indeed. Um, uh, there, there is more work for parents in kindergarten than there is for kids.
1: I just can't... I, you know, kindergarten is. kindergarten's a moment in my life that for some odd reason, I was five, I happen to remember well. I don't know why. Yeah. There, I remember my kindergarten teacher, I remember the classroom, I remember... I remember oh, yeah. the first
0: day of kindergarten. I remember what I wore. I remember what, I, yeah. all of it. I don't know why. Yeah, and I think you were one of those guys too. Oh yeah, for sure. Especially now because my daughter is in her kindergarten classroom is the one that's next to mine. So you have like you're actually it's, living. It's, it's it's a PTSD moment. She's uh, you know I'm 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 walking the same stairs and halls and it's freaking me out. A yeah, little yeah, bit. I
1: think that's where it all starts, baby. I mean, it, it, it all goes well or
0: wrong starting with kindergarten it does and you know it's but it's a lot of weird work now like I just remember you know naps and games and blocks and puzzles and now there's just like there's books and homework and we're doing homework with her and and you know it's it, there's stuff yeah yeah it's I like, don't remember all of that I, I remember it was a half a day.
1: Yeah, uh, it involved uh, being forced to drink milk, which was horrible to me. I have no yeah. idea why I was forced to do that. And cookies, it's a lot of cookies. I remember a lot of cookies.
0: Yeah, no, none of that right now. In fact, we've got a uh, a rehearsal SAT scheduled for week after next. So. Holy
1: moly! Yeah, I know. It's,
0: I know. They just keep scaling it back, man. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, but we got her ready. She's gonna be good. She's gonna yeah. Yeah, she's gonna get a sixteen hundred. I'm sure of it. Yeah,
1: and
0: then if not, we got thirteen years to to, to work on it, right? Too funny. That's so that's really crazy. So, crazy. That's so, crazy. so uh, let's well let's let's just dive right in this yeah, week. Sorry, uh, not much happening in entertainment. We're all looking down at the awards season now. So you know what? Um, g- cover some classic movies. We got our, our our giant bunch of classics right now, and there's some really great stuff that's come out uh, this week. Uh, they have finally released on 4K Ultra HD the X Men three film collection. Now, yes. if you are not a fan of the Brett Ratner uh, film, then I, I would say don't get this. Just get the first two, uh, X-Men and X-2. Uh, it's the third one, X-Men The Last Stand, direct when Brett Ratner stepped in for Brian Singer, uh, that it just all kind of turned to a, a mess and eventually got right again. But boy, that, that third film is really just a dog. Uh, I actually think X-2 is better than the original X-Men.
1: Oh, yes. Well, you're right. It is. It is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Far and away. Yeah. It's coherent for one thing. The original X Men. I'm sorry. That movie goes flat out goofy in the third act.
0: That's where it was. It just. It kind of loses it at the end. It's yeah. great. It's great for about 90 minutes. Yeah. And then it just kind of starts fumbling they things. Know where it is? And they, and they figure, you know what? We'll fix it in, this, in the next movie. And they yeah. did. And they did. They did. But anyway, uh, it's great. In case you forgot. You know there are a lot of people in uh, in the uh, the first three X Men films that kind of went away later. Halle Berry being one of them. Mm-hmm. By the way, you remember she was once part of the X Men and Rebecca Romaine. Yeah, exactly. Not you know whatever whatever she was. Rebecca Romaine at the time. At the time, uh, yeah, she by was. God. Before it, she was replaced by uh, uh, Jennifer, uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence, yeah, so, perfect weird. replaces. But
1: you know what, Rebecca Romaine and that little blue whatever the, with the little blue stickies. Yeah. Forget yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to top that.
0: Well, and X2 also has one of the coolest openings of any X-Men movie ever. Oh, one yeah. of the coolest. So uh, you know that, that right there in the White House and yeah. all that. That's just that's just a fabulous sequence. Uh, so anyway, lots of uh, you know good extras on here that you've probably already seen the audio commentaries and behind the scenes stuff. This isn't new. These aren't new extras, but being able to see the movies in 4K. Fox did a really good job. They did a really, really good job. Uh, you know, this is... Uh, CGI seems to take a leap every generation, and it's taken a leap even since what they were doing in these films. But it's still really top-notch, and especially in 4K, and the audio is great. It's a, it's a lot of fun. So uh, 4K, the disk set uh, for the... Um, or three-film set on Ultra HD 4K uh, from Fox. It's nice and slim. It's in a single keep case. You're definitely going to want to get this. Uh, it'd be great for the holidays, too. May even bring that one back.
1: Uh, the, the original Barbershop movie, believe it or not, was 2002. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that insane? Unbelievable. Uh, uh, it, this movie, believe it or not, I mean, it, it has become iconic. Uh, a lot of folks in this movie, for one thing, obviously Ice Cube, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, Anthony Anderson, Cedric the Entertainer, uh, who now I think is just Cedric or something. I and, and
0: I'm also going to go down a limb and say Barbershop 2. Better than Barbershop. Better Barber than Shop. Barbershop, yeah. yeah. yeah because little... it has it has that great flashback stuff. Because they they dressed up, I mean, it's really smart, because Cedric is dressed up older than he actually is. Yeah. You're able to do those civil rights era flashbacks. Yeah, and, and, and a, have him play his actual age. And yeah. it's kind of Godfather II-ish in a way, right? Yeah, you suddenly,
1: which was like, Tim's story new. You, you, yeah, of course. You <laughs> yeah. you you get into this Kevin Rodney
0: Sullivan. You do this flashback backstory that now makes the whole... The whole two film saga even richer, and yeah. you understand the characters better. And it's just, and he except he didn't have to hire Robert De Niro to play the young Cedric. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but between the two, of course, is Beauty Shop Queen yeah. Latifah's movie, yes. which is funny because you know Queen Latifah and all those girls are in Barbershop too. Yeah. Uh, so so, so uh, you know these movies all together now uh, make up a little iconic tr- you know treasure trove. of Of some of iconic American films yeah. that are very 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 funny. Um, uh, these uh, special edition DVDs. Well, Barbershop is a special edition. Uh, DVD, Uh, with all sorts of special features on it, including audio commentaries by Tim Story and the producer. Beauty Shop is just a DVD, Um, um, uh, with a few uh, special features on it, too, including a featurette, and then Barbershop 2, also a special edition, again, with uh, cast video commentaries from Cedric the Entertainer and a whole bunch of other people. Neat.
0: I kind of wish that Tim Story had not gone on to do that uh, Fantastic Four movie. You, you, you'll, you, I know why he did. Yeah. The paycheck. You yeah. can't turn it down. Yeah. Marvel says, hey, here, we want to do Fantastic Four. Why would you not do that? I get it. But at the same time, um, I, kind of, I kind of wanted him to do more, you know, to yeah. go in the art film, do more personal films.
1: It's an interesting thing, yeah. and and yeah, you, he went for the money. People he forget. Money.
0: People hate that movie, that Fantastic Four movie. Yeah. People forget the, that
1: the, that movie made a ridiculous amount of money. And it's better than the, uh, yeah. than the reboot. And it's better than the
0: reboot. That re- yeah, that yeah. reboot was dreadful. So you
1: know, it's very strange sort of circumstance.
0: Yeah. So also on 4K, we got a couple of Punisher movies. Now the Punisher has become uh, quite a bit of a minor success on Netflix as a spin-off from Daredevil, and uh, and the you know the the, the defenders. Uh, universe but um, we've had Punishers in the movies before and uh, we've got the Punisher and Punisher Warzone out on 4K Ultra HD um, different actors playing the Punisher really interesting stuff now Thomas Jane uh, plays the Punisher in The Punisher along with John Travolta we're going to mm. talk about Travolta uh, again in a moment very unfortunate thing Um the original Punisher. Look, I'm not a huge fan of the Punisher to begin with. Nah. It wasn't until Daredevil brought him in that I was like, now I understand this character. And they now we've created a you know like they, I think it, it's Dare, what is it Daredevil season two somewhere yeah. in the middle where he and basically there's an entire episode of Daredevil and the Punisher on the roof. Having an existential conversation about yeah. life and the meaning of life and morality and all this stuff, and you just think that's kind of cool that's what you can do on streaming and netflix you can You can put two guy you can have an action series in which there's really no action, and just these two heroes or these an antihero and a hero sitting on a roof talking to each other for an episode, and I still want to see it.
1: The grand irony
0: being that their the perspectives being different, but it leaves them in the same place it does and see <laughs> that's what made the writing so good. Uh, but in any case, that doesn't really find its way into the Thomas Jane Punisher, which is not a very good mo- uh, movie. It looks great. Uh, it's very dark, as you would expect. Um, Jane kind of doesn't. I love Thomas Jane as an actor, but it's, you know, Jonathan Hensley is a really, really good director. Um, there's an audio commentary with Hensley that's interesting. But for whatever reason, you know, this just kind of misses the mark. Um, I was not always a great fan of Warzone. The uh, Punisher Warzone, Warzone, uh, which uh, stars Ray Stevenson uh, as, uh, uh, as as the Punisher. Um, different inca- incarnation. I didn't particularly like his take mm. until I, our, our good friend Luke uh, Thompson.
1: Mm, Has yeah, a Luke, very, yeah.
0: Luke is working on a think piece, which I will not preempt. I'm not going to steal any of his thunder. But he's working on a really interesting think piece and a very interesting take on the Punisher films and the Punisher character. Where and he argues that Punisher War Zone is a bit of a a minor masterpiece. Might, I, he might take away the word minor anyway. I'll I'll, I'll repost that on our uh, on our Facebook page and um, and let everybody kind of get a gander at that when he's done with it. It's a very interesting idea, and he has forced me to sort of reconsider this film. So I'm not entirely yet convinced, but I want to read what he writes about it because again, he's more schooled in this character than I am. But yeah. there are—it is very different. Let's just say, Punisher War Zone is a different Punisher from what you get with the Thomas Jane film, and um, it, it's—you know—it—it—it again—it's these are all individual directors and writers who are using these characters to as vehicles for different ideas. Mm-hmm. So it's all very interesting stuff.
1: Interesting stuff indeed. Uh, Uncle Drew. Uh, oh my God! On 4K Ultra. You know what? This movie was just so stupid funny. I mean, stupid preceding funny. By yeah. the way, and stupid meaning funny when it's stupid, and then it's yeah. actually funny when it's funny. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, Shaquille O'Neal and, a, and the Chris Webber and a bunch of old NBA guys uh, dressed up like old men who yep. were formerly NBA yeah. guys, uh, and they come in, you know, this goofy kid playing this tournament, yeah. and it's just dumb. Uh, it, but it's funny, and it kind of gave a nice platform for these guys to do kind of what was going on in those barbershop movies yeah. that we talked about, yeah. uh, you know, from uh, you know, eighteen almost twenty years ago now. Uh,
0: look, I'm a sucker. I love Shaq. Yeah. I we used to go to as many Laker games as we could possibly afford. I am so honored that I saw the big guy play.
1: Yeah, and relatively
0: close. Yeah. Uh, he is a philanthropist. He is a businessman. He doesn't take himself too seriously. He is a larger-than-life man and a larger-than-life personality. I will see him do anything because he doesn't take himself too seriously. Shaq in Uncle Drew mm. is hilarious. Oh, yeah. And everything else in this movie is actually quite a lot of fun, too. Yeah. It's a silly movie that just, just knows it's out there to have fun. But Shaq, done up like the old dude, I, I'm sorry. It's just... It's I fantastic. That's it. That, I'm just, done. It's funny. It's I'm fun. done. Uh, a lot
1: of neat stuff on this uh, 4K Ultra DVD. Uh, deleted scenes, blah, blah, blah.
0: Cool stuff. <laughs> got another 4k big 4k bonanza this Mm -hmm. week uh we got a ton of them still uh american psycho the uncut version is out on 4k uh just in time for halloween this everybody everyone else is kind of saying this movie is so prescient it's it's day it's aged really well it's about now it's about me too no, it isn't. It's about a guy who kills women. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. That's not... That's not that, that, in, in, in the worst possible way. Um, this uh, is
1: it, a, who may or may not kill women. Depends on how you read that movie. Yeah, true. Yeah. I mean,
0: it's... Look, it's... Uh, th- 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 there's more going on here. This is really a... The whole movie is a bit of an allegory. It's an allegory about what uh, cutthroat Wall Streeters do on a daily basis to each other, yeah. to investors, to the general public, to the economy... You know, there's a certain mindset that views money uh, not as a means to an end, barely an end in and of itself, but in this case, it's sport. Yeah, you know, and that's and and that's sort of the meditation here. Uh, it, is the movie as good as the book? I don't know. I never read the book. Uh, what what sort of does blow me away looking back on this is that Reese Witherspoon's in this movie. Yeah. Um, but it, was a, it was a controversial movie at the time. Yeah. Uh,
1: uh, who directed that? Mary, was it Mary Heron? Yes, it was. Uh, and uh, it was a controversial movie at the time. Uh, it, it, you know, and it had to do with the way people because were a, reading it, whether or not you were reading it over, literally
0: or not. And also because a woman had directed it yeah. who had some credibility with I Shot Andy Warhol and her other films, as somebody who was able to capture a certain uh, feminist sentiment, if this had been directed by a man, it would have been a different film, and it would oh, have yeah. been well, ridiculed yeah. to high to high to Adrian. Uh, to no Adrian Lyme Lime wouldn't might have been. film. yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, it is. Um, uh, look, I mean, the movie's controversial. The book was controversial. Christian Bale is kind of weird in it, um, but uh, it's you know, an interesting artifact. It doesn't hold up. Yeah, I agree but uh, that
1: doesn't hold up. at all uh, the, the seagull uh adaptation of the checkoff uh I, to me beautifully rendered I really really love this. what I love most about it was uh Ronan and Annette Benning uh, playing opposite ends of the spectrum, Annette Benning obviously being the famous elderly actress uh married to uh, uh the younger the younger man uh, who falls in love with sor Ronan uh and, 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 and who will win this tug of war yeah. over this man uh, this dastardly and cunning older woman or this young woman. And Saoirse and is just mm. so mesmerizing in yeah. this film. Beautifully shot, beautifully rendered in just about every way. Uh, Corey Stoll, too. Uh, man, that
0: guy. Uh, you, you know, know. And, and it's funny because when Saoirse Ronan finally kind of, uh, when she burst onto the scene... I thought, okay, and it was what was it? Atonement. Atonement. Atonement was the one that got her the Oscar nomination. Yeah, yeah. she's still a little girl then, but yeah, she's a little girl. And and you know when you when you suddenly have an actress or an actor, but but very often actresses in the in the case of these British period films who sort of explodes with so much energy and so much vitality and gets an Oscar nomination is suddenly the next new thing. You you get into you know at least I do. I get into my head and I start thinking, okay, now where's her career going to go? how how castable is she can she can she play off the british accent can mm. she do other accents can she play american will she be able to age into something more interesting as an adult what's she going to look like what's her mm. you know you sort of start trying to invent a career for them and I am the first person to say I am terrible at doing that because <laughs> they, they never wind up being the actor that I think they're going to be. Mm. And she's another example. Like, she has gone on to do so many interesting things and it shows such a range. Oh, yeah. That I never – I mean – From from Hannah, a little crazy action
1: thing she yeah. did with Eric Bana, yeah. uh, to Ladybird Ladybird You know, no, year, years ago, Brooke, uh, uh, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Brooklyn the accent not the accent yeah uh, you're know, always luminous and, and she's absolutely extraordinary in this uh, in this uh, version of uh, of uh, the the uh, the seagull um, special features include a, uh, a Q&A with them at the Tribeca Film Festival and the Q&A with Annette Benning and director Michael Mayer
0: so we got some uh, stuff kind of Halloweenish. We, you know, I, I don't think we're going to be able to do a Halloween show this year because all this stuff is coming out so much earlier. It's we're not even. I mean, we're we're more than a month away from Halloween, yeah. and all the Halloween stuff's already coming out. So yeah. they're getting such a crazy jump on it. I think when we get closer to Halloween, we're not going to have any Halloween material left. So um, maybe we'll do a special show anyway, and just you know, just play scary sounds. So Michael Winner. Uh, the guy who directed Death Wish was a bit of a thing in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Michael Winner did a lot of genre films, and he was a you know he's a solid solid craftsman at the time. And this is one that really has probably never been given the the do its proper due. Um, Scream for Help, really really interesting movie, maybe one of his very very best. And it's yes, it's one of those you know um, woman in jeopardy movies that that has been criticized so much for, you know, like like afraid of the dark was mm. one, right with Audrey Hepburn and and uh, Alan Arkin. that was one of the first ones, and uh, certainly psycho kind of goes in that mm-hmm. as well. Halloween, which we'll talk about again in this well, yeah, Reboot you know, a, a woman woman being chased by a psycho. and people are like, that is so exploitative. it's you know it's it's just uh, it's reinforcing a stereotype. Well, unfortunately, it's a stereotype that is still too very real uh, every day in the news we we see these things. So the question to me is always, is the movie exploiting that particular scenario, or does it have something interesting to say about it? Is it giving us insight that makes us more thoughtful about Mm -hmm. something that is an unfortunate daily reality? And I think Scream for Help does. I think Scream for Help is a lot smarter than anybody has uh, ever given it credit for being. This movie was made in 1984, right kind of at the tail end of when Michael Winner's relevance was was going away. Uh, But it is... um, uh, it, it it deals with a family situation. It's about a teenage girl who discovers that her stepfather is planning on killing her mother, mm-hmm. and that makes it so much more interesting than than what this otherwise could have been. Uh, some of the performances are a little you know overmodulated, but uh, otherwise performances are, are 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 what the film needs. Uh, Rachel Kelly, David Brooks, Marie Masters—it's uh, it, a—it's a—it's a good cast. Produced by executive uh, Irwin Yablins, who's uh, related to Frank Yablins, if you're keeping track of that. Written by Tom Holland, you know, Savage mm-hmm. Tom Holland, as he's otherwise known uh, at the time. And uh, Michael Winter does some really, really good job. That's from Scream Factory, and that's. Uh, That'll get you ready for Halloween. I uh, love the title of this movie. This is the kind of movie that would have been really popular
1: in the middle '90s. Uh, I had to review it for the show. Izzy gets the fuck across town, <laughs> uh, you know. And, and and I like it because a, it's literally what happens in the movie. You got it's, these, it's, it's also the title. It's the title of the movie. Uh, Mackenzie Davis uh, is this
0: uh, gal named Izzy. It's kind of like like how a, was this film handled at the time on on radio and television? How did they? What did they? Izzy gets the blank across town. How did they review? That's this? what Larry said.
1: When he introduced on film on film, I
0: remember that specifically. <laughs> I remember that very specifically.
1: Uh, and, and, so, you know, and okay. I don't know, you know, I don't know how they hurt themselves. Or, um, so, anyway, um, uh, and, uh, and she was kind of like a uh, sort of like a one hit wonder, sort of a little pop girl, maybe 10, yeah. 10, 15 years ago with her sister. They had this hit song. And since then, she's still been sort of like, you know, playing the circuit and doing the thing. The thing of it is, she's just an awful girl. She's just terrible, uh, and, you know, and, and, and uh, everybody's just sick of her, uh, and, uh, and, and, and her boyfriend, her ex-boyfriend, is about to get married uh, on the other side of town, uh, and she's going to do everything she can and interrupt every life of every friend that she has in order to get them to help her get over there to that wedding that she is not invited to uh, so she can ruin it uh, and get her boyfriend back. Uh, and it's one of those movies, you know, uh, and again, in the middle 90s, this would have been mo- the same movie, but it would have been a boy instead of a girl, you know, it's kind of the graduate-y. Uh you know, I suppose it's charming in a certain sort of way. There really is a lovely moment in it um, uh, where, where they perform that, that hit that she and her sister had. Uh, for that one moment, they had a they had a you know a little moment where they almost made it, and I loved it. it sort of wanders across our LA, Wade and my's LA, mm-hmm. and all through Silver Lake and all through the Santa Monica, and you just sort of see these places that we go and hang out, and it's one of those kind of movies. But you know, if you don't actually live here, I don't give, I suppose you give a damn about that. Audio commentary with the director uh, and writer, um, it's, you know, so you know, sassy. If you like the Kevin, the sort of middle '90s Kevin Smith world of movie making, yeah. this lives in that zone. Love it. Only today.
0: Yeah, why not? Got a couple more from uh, Scream Factory. One is the very underrated Straight Jacket. Now, this movie gets so maligned, and I think unfairly, because Joan Crawford is, is doing her very best uh, self-parody here. Yeah. Uh, Straight Jacket was directed by William Castle, the yeah. legendary William Castle. And uh, it was written by Robert Block. we should remember, who also wrote Psycho. So there's a lot of Psycho in this, and there's a lot of William Castle in this in, in terms of the exploitation sensibilities. But here's the deal. Straight Jacket is a really interesting film in the sense that it predates things like, uh, well, it's, it's obvi- he's obviously still working out a lot of the same issues in Psycho, except he's, he's projected it onto a female, onto mm-hmm. a woman, and it's a, it's a more feminist uh, take on the Psycho concept. Uh, but it's also still very much dealing with the same things. And you can project this forward into stuff like Halloween, mm-hmm. Friday the 13th. Which Rosemary's is go- Baby, which, Ro- of course, he produced. People yes. forget
1: William Castle produced Rosemary's yes, Baby. Yes, he
0: did. And the idea here is so you've got uh, Joan Crawford is uh, she you know she uh, she uh, her husband's sleeping with another woman she catches them in the bed together and she whips out the axe and loses her mind and just chops him up into little bitty pieces in the bed, and uh, goes away to a mental institution not realizing that her her daughter witnessed this and it it, it and scarred her and did a number on her which uh, I think it was the what is it the third or fourth Friday the Thirteenth movie that kind of. Does a little bit of that with uh, with Corey. Oh yeah, where, where, where Corey witnesses all this stuff, and then at the end he's like turning into the new Jason. Is yeah. he the final chapter? I can't remember anyway. Uh, so um, Corey Feldman. Corey you know, Feldman, yeah. Uh, sort of th- that that's a, that's very much inspired by what happens in this movie. Anyway, she gets out years later, moves in with her brother, and uh, and things. People are dying from axe murders again. Fill in the blanks. You can kind of figure out what's going on. Anyway, um, uh, lots of extras on here. There's a new audio commentary with Steve. Haberman and David Schau, uh, who are experts in this film and everything to do with it, and they will contextualize it. It's a really fun commentary. There's uh, some vintage stuff uh, on Joan Crawford that I'd never seen before, never heard of before. It's really, really fun. And stuff on the making of it. There's costume and makeup tests with Joan Crawford. Um, There's a screen test that is hilarious. Uh, it's really a lot of fun. So Scream Factory did a great job digging up some some really good stuff for that one, and I'm also going to defend their other release, their other kind of Halloweeny related uh, release, which is Exorcist 2 The Heretic. Now. There are a handful of guilty pleasures I have that are movies that are widely and widely despised and reviled by a lot of people. <laughs> and Exorcist 2 is one of them. Uh, as many people love The Exorcist, they will r- routinely say Exorcist 2 is the worst of the series. It's an abomination. It's one of the worst films ever made. I think Exorcist 2 is fun. I don't care what people say. A heretic. Part of it is I'm a big fan and apologist for John Borman. Even yeah. when John Borman makes bad movies, they're interesting bad movies. Zardoz? Yeah, Sean Connery. Yeah, that okay. diaper, that with that diaper, that red diaper. I'm okay with Zardoz. It's a weird, funky original. Excalibur
1: is great, uh, it's, yeah. it, but I it's also watched, interesting. Watched interesting. The
0: yeah. I watched that the other day. Yeah, I, t- I turned it on. It's because yeah. it's on Filmstruck right yeah, now, yeah. and I saw it, and it's going away soon, and I was like, I'm going to watch Excalibur right yeah. now. Even though I've got it down in the garage, I'm going to watch it again. And, uh, boy, did I, 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 you know, that was one, that film made such an impression on me, but it's amazing how much I'd forgotten. Yeah. It really is. I mean, that cast, Patrick Helen Stewart, Maren. Patrick Stewart, Helen yeah. Mirren, yeah. uh, 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 I mean, it's like, you just, you, you go through it, Liam Neeson, it's yeah. incredible how many people are in that movie. Yeah. Gabriel Byrne, you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize what an all-star cast they had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those people great. all went on to think. Anyway, Exorcist II, The Heretic. Uh, it, look, it's it's completely out of its mind. It's an absolutely bonkers. There are two cuts of the film here. The uh, director's cut is 117 minutes. Makes marginally more sense than the, the shorter version. It's, <laughs> it's, you know, the shorter version is 102 minutes. Um, and they did a great job restoring all of this. Borman does a commentary on the director's cut. Doesn't really make sense. He does try to justify the film a little bit. It's okay. He doesn't need to apologize for it. I'm going to tell him right now. John? Don't apologize for this film. You, you have nothing to apologize for. The film's cool. You just you, you went pure gut, pure id, and you just put it out there. You weren't trying to do The Exorcist all over again. You're trying to do something of your own. You could do your own take on it. Uh, there was no reason for The Exorcist to even have a sequel, no. it didn't need a sequel. But they 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 had to try to go to that well one more time, and you know you took a swing at it, yeah. and it was a brave swing at, at just saying let's just do this. Yeah, and it's not, not like a, it's
1: not it's not like he made they 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 did that again. You know, there's a Nexus is three. Yeah, yeah. So know. you know, yeah. So, so he's good. You're good, Joe. Look,
0: look. They they even have a new inter. They they have a, a new interview with Linda Blair, which is interesting, and some other little uh, tidbits on here. Look, man. Uh, this is a brave attempt to make a sequel to a film that didn't need a sequel and to do something original. Don't don't slam him for it. Exorcist Two: The Heretic Collector's Edition from Scream Factory. And John Dorman. John Dorman directed. That's my phone.
1: John Dorman directed. Oh, yeah. uh...
0: Ooh, oh. Yeah. oh, that was your watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's <laughs> fancy.
1: I'm fancy. We got a big day today. There's a lot of a lot of stuff going on. So... John Dorman directed Deliverance, so you know. Yeah, he'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, nobody's gonna. Yes. Nobody's gonna remember that. Uh, the Puppet Master. The Littlest Reich. So this is a reimagining, it's what they call it, a reimagining of the 1989 Puppet Master film, which is a neat film uh, within the context of the genre. I love these films because they, they would actually build things. The puppets yep. were there, pre-CGI. Yep. This does that, too. They, they, they build all these little stupid puppets. You know, it's about this guy who gets divorced, goes home, finds this puppet, and uh, He's going to take this, this puppet, puppet to a, a convention, sell it, you know, try to make it bucks. <laughs> books. Puppet's been cursed. Cursed puppet. Oh, I hate cursed yeah. puppets. And infects all the other puppets. <laughs> now we've got a bunch of uh, Charles Band. they're so stupid. They're great in this funny uh, Thomas Lennon in this, and he's such a wry comedic sort of yeah. with that face and thing that he does. That he does. Uh, so it's it's crazy. It's kind of fun. I rather enjoy it. Um, uh, and it's from the producers. They they say specifically on the box here of this 4K Ultra DVD of Bone Tomahawk. And the Meg, the Meg being that big shark movie with Jason uh, Statham and Bone Tomahawk, which is actually pretty good. A lot of special features on this thing. Uh, well, a few spe- special features on this thing, including the. Well, a little videotape featuring the cast. Then I have this absolutely horrible, really, really, really bad sorority kill movie called The Row. You know, like Sorority Row, this is mm. called The Row. Uh, you got uh, Layla Kent in this movie specifically. Layla Kent is, was a, a reality show star. I can't remember what show uh, it was because I don't care. Uh, uh, but, uh, she was. I know that for sure. And she's in this sort of, a uh, sorority kill movie. You know, these pledges are, are it's during this pledge week, and they're pledging these sororities and, uh, when rushing and doing all this kind of stuff. Vanderpump Rules. That's what it was. Vanderpump Rules. And, and, uh, and girls are getting killed. Girls are getting killed. Somebody's killing the girls. Uh, the kill scenes are terrible. The camera is too shaky. None of these people can act. This movie
0: sucks. Uh, director's commentary. And we've got the original Halloween on 4K. So... Here's the thing: the Halloween has. There's a new Halloween movie yeah. that just debuted to great reviews. By the way, at Toronto, yeah, uh, you know, which it, which I didn't expect, but um, looking forward to it. We'll see how how it is. It's amazing how this franchise continues to thrive. How would, all franchises continue to thrive. I, know, I, I I'm going to stop talking about it. I'm over it's myself. Just, we, we had a Mad Max film get nominated yeah. for best best picture. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just like. Decades after the fact. I'm holding Solo over here. I know. Anyway, the original Halloween finally gets the 4K treatment. Now, Halloween was the original low-budget slasher film that started it all. And we gotta remember, Friday the Thirteenth is a spinoff from from Halloween. The idea, mm-hmm. hey, they made a movie with a guy with a mask running around killing people. We can we can let's get a ma- let's get a hockey mask. Yeah, that's even easier. We don't, you don't have- need
1: any. They, they they realize you don't you don't need any movie stars. You're gonna kill all the kids in the movie. Yeah, and the guy under the mask can be damn near anybody.
0: Yeah, that's it. It's smart. That's the way they do it. By the way, a little bit of trivia. Do do we remember what the mask is of? Uh, do I know? do. Yeah. Shall we tell them? Yes, let's tell them. You tell. Them. It's a. It's a William Shatner Halloween mask, painted milted. white and melted, and melted just a little. Bit. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, he
1: actually looks like the mask now. It's true, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, it's his face. It became uh, his face. So I just, so I
0: just love that. I love the fact that, that you know the Shat finds his way everywhere yeah. these days. I love him. So uh, anyway, the, the original story of Michael Myers is actually psychologically really interesting. This is not just a relentless kill fest and exploitation film. There's a really interesting story here. And John Carpenter uh, is not often given enough credit for that. The, the transfer is really interesting. They've, they've gone out of their way to um, use everything that there is available in 4K to give the best possible look to a movie that didn't look that great originally, that was made with very little money, uh, you know, not the best photography, low light, sharp light. And so there's a, there are some tricks that are going on here with the 4K to actually wind up degrading the 4K a little bit. So mm. it's 4K that could have ruined this film by showing you things that you should never have seen. Right. And this reminds me when I, I... I say this all the time about, about 4K, about, you know, the yeah. extremely, yeah. You have, to, you have to take the edge off a little bit sometimes. You can't, go, you can't push it all the way to what, what it's capable of. I remember once I saw a 2K projection uh, at Warner Brothers, which was a demonstration at the time, mm-hmm. of uh, Robin Hood, the original Robin Hood, Adventures of Robin Hood, Errol Flynn. And uh, we had a discussion afterwards, you know, and, and they said, look, we are we're we're doing four K of everything. We master in four K. We archive in four K uh, because you can always make it take it down. Mm-hmm. You want to go, but when we project it, you know, like something like Robin Hood, you're going to project this in two K, and we do have to take the edge off because otherwise, you're going to realize that they're chain mail, mm-hmm. th- that those are just sweaters. Yeah, you're going to realize that those trees. Yeah. It's paper mache yeah. And all of that stuff, those cinematographers at the time understood the limitations of the film, yeah. of the film stock. What, and what film would allow. Film would allow. So I can get away with doing this, that, and the other thing. If you're a DP, if you're an art director, a set director, a production designer, costumer, you knew, all working together on the same crew, you knew what the film would and would not reveal. Mm-hmm. And as now that we live in an era where we can go to the original negative... And you can sharpen that stuff up to the point where you can reveal things that they didn't want to reveal. You've got to be responsible and honor their artistic vision. You have
1: to think about it in the first place. You do. And a lot of times when they first started doing this, it was just all about, oh, it's going to be so sharp. And, and yeah. it no, never even occurred to them. You know, I think Vittorio Storuro wanted yeah. that to look like that.
0: The first Blu-ray of Casablanca was terrible, because they took the grain out. They thought, hey, we can get rid of the grain. Awesome. No, 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 we want the grain. It's supposed to be there, you dumbasses. Oh my Come gosh, on. Oh my so anyway, mm. Halloween is a good example of people who understood that the we just because we have 4K, this movie... Should not be pushed all the way to what 4K people are doing. By the doing. way, let,
1: let me say that this should apply to 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 cinematography uh, for films in in the first place. In other words, just because you can, I just shot a movie shot at 4K. I don't, yep. want, I, I, I'm, I don't want that movie ever to be seen projected at, at, in 4K, not ever, not yeah. ever. I, I want to make that movie look like it was shot on a film stock from about 1972. There you go. I want it to look like uh, Five Easy Pieces. Yep. Uh, which means that I don't, that they, and, and the 4K allows me to reduce and, 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 yes. and correct to that, but I don't ever want that movie to just live raw 4K. No. I don't want it to look like that. No. So
0: that's, that's so a bra- so. Bravo to uh, to the people over at Lionsgate for t- doing a really good job with uh, Halloween on 4K and uh, good extras here. Uh, the audio commentary with John Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis. A couple of featurettes. One of them is you know 25 years later. Uh, and then some, you know, advertising stuff from TV and radio at the time, which is always really fun. This yeah. mo- the, the promo campaign for this movie at the time was really terrific. It's worth watching the TV spots and hearing the radio spots. Uh, we've also got Phantasm 3 and 4. Now, Phantasm 3 came 15 years after Phantasm 2 um, because Don Coscarelli realized... I'm really not going to have much of a career doing anything else, so I might, I might as well. I've been trying to get other things going in 15 years. Hell with it. I'm the guy that made Phantasm. I'm going to make Phantasms until the day I I'll die. Be the Phantasm gonna, guy. I'm just going to ride Phantasm as long as I can, as long as you know, uh, the, the 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 tall man lives. So uh, anyway, uh, there's getting the the plot particulars of these movies are a little bit silly. Uh, there's audio commentary on both of these, and um, I'm gonna say Phantasm Three is actually a, a really interesting film. Phantasm Four is 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 kind of r- ridiculously stupid. It, it gets into you know, like it it just it changes the character uh, of the tall man played by Angus Scrim, who also has really not he's never done anything else, has he? No. Angus Grimm's just no, only his, ever been the Tom. That's what he does. So so <laughs> he kept Don Coscarelli employed, and Don Coscarelli <laughs> kept him employed, and it worked out for him both. That's
1: what he does.
0: That's what he does. All right. So anyway, uh yeah, this this gets into uh this gets into a whole weird space-time continuum thing that just it it it's a little bit too apocalyptic and a little bit too uh I don't know, it's just not Phantasm. Uh but Phantasm three is very much in the spirit of the first two and uh it's got a you know it's got a it's got a good low budget vibe to it so um yeah why not? Fantastic! Mm. Both of those from Wellgo on Blu-ray. First time they've been available on Blu-ray. Uh, it's worth checking out.
1: Uh, I have a um, uh, Australian science fiction film, kind of a low-budget Australian science fiction film called The Occupation. Uh, there has been an, an, an alien invasion. There is a small town, not exactly in the outback, but a, you know, a smallish town yeah. uh, that muscles, musters together the forces to resist uh, the alien invasion. Um, and uh, you know, this is all about that, that, that Aussie uh, grit and gumption. Uh, and how uh, it's going to be some uh, small town in the Australian near outback that saves us all from a bunch of crazy aliens, and I suppose that's cool. Uh, I can go with that. Um, uh, nevertheless, not a lot on this. The movie's kind of okay. A lot of CGI. I would have preferred it if they would have just you know put a bunch of guys in costumes. They do for a few, but a lot of CGI, not exactly my thing. Blu-ray and DVD. Um Superfly. Oh, the new one. Yeah. Uh, Director X knocking off a new version of Superfly set in, out of Atlanta and Harlem in the
0: present day. I reviewed this on Film Week. Too. You
1: reviewed it on Film Week. You, ra- you you rather liked it. I finally saw it, and I like it too.
0: I am surprised at how much I like it because the, the our obvious impulse is w- what are you possibly going to do? I remember when I first saw the, the billboard for this, I thought... What are you doing? You're taking you're taking a a film, and we talked about this previously when the, with the recent Blu-ray of the original Superfly that you're talking about comparing Superfly to Shaft. One was independent, one was studio, one directed by father, one directed by the son. Mm-hmm. Representing one is about a, a you know a heroic cop figure, the other is about a, an anti-hero mm-hmm. criminal. There's a really a fascinating dichotomy there. Dichotomy that you, can there. Just, you can just see it, and it belongs to a certain era. And my first thought was, okay, you're you're taking this film. Out of its context, out of its, its era, out of its family dynamic, out of its uh, uh, business dynamic of the film industry at the time, Indie Studio, and you're just remaking it. What possible point is there going to be to a remake of this film in the here and now? I, I don't get it. You're, you're taking it away from its music. Mm-hmm. You're taking, you know, it's, it's even in a different city. It's a different city. Like You're literally removing this thing from everything that made the original film relevant. So what are you possibly going to hope to do with it? I walked in was so, so cynical and so skeptical. And I was so impressed that they found a nugget in the film that I never really understood was there. They found something in the character that I'm not even sure the original film knew was there, mm. but they were able to transform it and make it relevant in a really interesting way. It has a lot to say about ambition and wealth and, um, and, and morality and choices and family and crime. And, and culture. Yeah. And culture. And it takes minor characters from the original film and does some really interesting things with them, supporting Mm -hmm. characters. It changes them, and it gives them a different – especially the cops. right? It does some really interesting stuff, and and I'm not going to give any of it away, but it really – they saw something in the original film that that matters in the here and now, and I give them all the credit in the world. Well, in the
1: the midst of the uh, Me Too movement, there were a few things that they had to account for here. There were things that went on in that original Superfly, who was a pimp, uh, yeah. uh, and uh, and his dynamic with women, yeah. uh, his girlfriends, plural. Yeah, but uh, th- well, he still to, has girlfriends uh, here. Yeah, but these girlfriends know each other, and they, and, <laughs> and they think and they think each other are cute. Yeah. Uh, and he's uh, and he uh, is uh, their boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he, uh, hey, yeah. you know, this works for us. Um, but and these are all sort of choices. There's a shower scene. Folks. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know, everybody's dirty. They have to take a shower. Um uh it's <laughs> it's it, so, it, so 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 a lot of a lot of interesting things and interesting ways that they sort of account for all of this stuff yeah. in this movie. Uh digital DVD, not not uh not uh, Blu-ray. It, it, yeah. it, it
0: is on Blu-ray. They it were is? not they were not able to send it to oh, us okay, on Blu-ray. Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh you wanna go there or shall I? Yeah,
0: we got one more Halloween-y thing. Uh Universal Classic Monsters, the complete 30 film collection. So Universal was originally the brand that you know, made monster movies. We all know that. If, mm-hmm. if you know anything about film history, you know that they—that's what they did. The money, oh yeah Mummy, werewolf guy. Frankenstein, man. yada yada, all that stuff. So they have released all these films so many times. This is this is not yeah, the first 20, or second. For twenty years, they've been releasing. They've this just film. been riding this for a long time. So this is allegedly the definitive, finally the definitive collection because it's it's not just all the original monster films. It's you know, Dracula. I mean, this is look. Come on, this is this is thirty films. <laughs> it in is a, a gorgeous a, box. It's a nice big, not fancy. It's it is it is a there are seven Blu-ray cases in here plus a booklet with thirty films. So that's a that's, it's it's going to take up some space on your shelf, but it's thirty films. But they really really go over and over and above with this. You're not just getting Dracula and Frankenstein, Mummy, the Invisible Man, Bride of Frankenstein, Werewolf of London, you know the usual stuff. You're getting things like Son of Frankenstein, Dracula's Daughter the mummy's hand the invisible <laughs> woman that. the mummy's tomb the invisible man's revenge house of frankenstein the mummy's curse uh she wolf of london i mean it, it really and eventually they eventually as the people the curators over there at universal they're sitting there they're they're thinking yeah, why not? Okay, we'll just throw Abbott and Costello I was gonna, meet oh Frankenstein. My God, I was say. Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man. Uh, uh, Abbott and Costello meet the Mummy. They throw those on there too. So you got which, three. Is,
1: which is really great because you know what? Those could make up a set all by
0: themselves. Sure, they could. You know. So uh, you got it all, all all thirty monstery movies, uh, all jammed in here with documentaries. You even as as they have always included on every release of Dracula, you get the uh, the Spanish language version from 1931 that was ah, shot back to back with it. Yeah. They shot on the same set, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, they would they shoot, shoot the one and then they'd leave and go home and then the Spanish crew would come in and they'd shoot and it, you know they it it's really and it's not and it's, it's
1: a better movie by it's the way. A better movie. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm glad you said it. Uh, and lots of commentaries, and uh, it's just, it's really fun. So, and the collectible booklet. However, most of these Blu-ray transfers are not necessarily better than what came before. They just decided to finally consolidate everything into a single set. It is possible that you might uh, wind up with um, a copy of Revenge of the Creature that is flawed. If you do... There is a replacement program, and you just have to email usheconsumerrelations at visionmediamgmt.com to get an updated disc. So uh, just as a warning, if you get this and you wind up with one of the flawed manufacturing discs Mm. for The Creature Walks Among Us... I don't really, it's not a very good movie. You'll never watch it anyway. But if you're a completist, um, USHE for Universal Studios Home Entertainment, USHE Consumer Relations at Vision Media and then MGMT, abbreviation for management.com. And they'll send you a new disc. So not to worry. They're taking care of you. Uh, Let's see.
1: I got myself a little science fiction film here called Watch the Sky from Breaking Glass. It's just a little, it's just a little, it's a a neat little family film. These kids go out uh, to take some amateur video of uh, of, of some stuff in the sky and they capture something that they're not supposed to capture before they know it. Uh, Men in black and uh, and, and, and little green men, not actually little green men, but, uh, but, you know, people who might be from outer space uh, in the sort of traditional way, just sort of, you know, with those heads and the eyes and that kind of stuff, come looking for them. And I got to tell you, as uh, little neat family films go, this one sort of sort of holds up. It's it's the kind of thing that you would have, I don't know, uh, watched on television uh, on the Sci-Fi Channel or something like that. Uh, Cute little movie. uh, Watch the sky. Not much on it. Bonus feature: one photo gallery.
0: So we've got a, a bunch of interesting stuff from Arrow and uh most of it arrow releasing but also the you know the art film line uh, arrow academy which is a separate thing we always have to point out arrow academy really interesting arrow academy film but the uh, the five from the five regular ones from from arrow are just really great old exploitation uh schlocky films that all have a little bit of a a little bit of an extra special sheen to them uh i am uh, i am an i am oddly compelled by i don't want to say i like it but i'm oddly compelled by the pajama girl case partly because it spells pajama with a y the french style p y j a m a so it is it, it almost makes me want to pronounce it as uh, the pajama girl kiss <laughs> uh, and it starts to sound like uh, like clouseau or something Anyway, the this is what's the correct way to pronounce giallo? We always have listeners that will write, I always say giallo. Yeah, it's, it anyway. No, I always say giallo and people correct me and No, I it's giallo. giallo like, I don't know. You I might, don't yeah, know. Yeah. Anyway, so uh bad
1: Italian horror movies.
0: This is kind of this is a um Okay, so let me let me let me back up a little bit again. So the, as far as giallo films are concerned, this is a really really strange arty uh, unusual entry in the uh, in, in the ser- in the the genre as it were um the director uh Flavio Morgarini, not one that I'm overly familiar with i've seen a couple of his other films they're usually terrible all takes place in uh, australia and the the idea here is that they find uh, uh there's a woman who's been killed i won't tell you how she's been killed it's rather ugly. Um, but she, she's identifiable primarily because she was dressed in these pajamas, these yellow pajamas. And uh, Ray Land has to come out of retirement to try to employ all of his ace detective skills to somehow work backwards and solve this case. And where it goes is not necessarily very logical just because, which is weird, because apparently there was a real life incident that inspired this, and and they don't seem to hew very well closely to it, but it goes in places I never would have expected it to go. So I I find this a really really interesting movie. It's got a great score to it as well. Um, it it's it, it, at times it's very uncomfortable to watch, but it's really just so creatively done, uh, more so than I would normally expect for this genre. It really stands apart. Uh, the Pajama Girl case. And tons of extras on here, uh, interviews and, you know, whatnot. It's just really, really fantastic. Uh, the Baby, that tells you right there, a movie called The Baby is going to be absolutely horrifying. The the tagline, I love the tagline, what goes on in this nursery <laughs> isn't for kids. So 1972, you're coming out of, you know, Rosemary's Baby a few mm-hmm. years earlier. So, you know, everybody's afraid of babies. So why not? Uh, you know, let's let's just do another one, and it's it really it's it's a takeoff on that. It's it, but it it's not in a really ridiculous. Well, okay, the 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 joke here is that the baby in question mm-hmm. is a twenty-one year old man. So it's you know that's the that's the the, the twist. It's not literally. It's a. He's, he's 21 years old, but he's a baby in his mind, and anyway, it's, it, it's, it's, rather bu- it's bizarre and weird and uh, intentionally funny and uh, unintentionally horrifying, or maybe it's the other way around. I can't keep track of it. Anyway, total psychedelic movie from the 1970s, uh, actually really more funny than anything else, directed by Ted Post who kind of specialized in these particular films. You know, Ted Post also did Beneath the Planet of the Apes and mm. Magnum Force, right? So, I mean, he's, he, he's kind of, yeah, he, he's, a, he's a legit director who could make some really weird stuff. Uh, the other, last three here, Dario Argento's Deep Red is a horrible movie. Yeah. I'm going to say it's out from Arrow. It's a cult film. A lot of people really like this. I am not a huge fan of Dario Argento. I think this is easily one of his worst films. I don't think this is at all. Remake uh, of
1: uh, Suspiria. It's, uh, it's, it's just coming
0: our way. Oh, uh, the, yes. That was also at Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But in the, in the case of deep red, this is just, you know, it's too gory for me. It's just too bloody. It's, too, too gory. it's just too, too self-conscious about all of its stuff. It's doing uh, day of the jackal. Yeah. Is, there's that's, that's really cool. Uh, day of the jackal is a terrific film and uh directed in nineteen seventy one by frederick For- uh based on the uh, Frederick forsyth bestseller uh and uh beautifully directed by Fred Zinneman, who of course did you know uh from here to eternity the the uh and, and high noon and a lot of the, a lot of other great great movies so um and it all t- basically is about the uh nineteen sixty two starts with this attempt on the life of Charles de Gaulle, and from there it just goes into some really really interesting um uh, political thriller directions that you just don't see coming. It's really a sharp film. Still works. Still holds up. And uh, largely, I would have to say, because of the Kenneth Ross screenplay. And Kenneth Ross is not a guy who's known wa- far and wide for writing great screenplays. And then the last one is Horrors of Malformed Men, which is a romance. Isn't that weird? <laughs> if a title like that, you would you would you would think something other. no, this is a um, this is by Teruo Ishii, who is who's uh, what what would be the. Uh, the uh, the uh, the equi- japanese equivalent of giallo whatever it is that's, oh yeah, yeah 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 so anyway that's what it, starts it is with a U. something yeah. anyway uh that's he was he's a guy that basically made a lot of those and uh, this is a really twisted film but it's really really well done and it's based on the writings of Edogawa Rampo, uh, a you know the famous genre film uh, genre writer in Japan who based his name on Edgar Allan Poe. That's ah. the thing. Edogawa Rampo is like a Japanese etymology twist on edgar Allan poe not his original real name um but uh this film was actually really scandalous at the time it's uh it's very very well done not usually my genre it goes it's a little edgy for me uh in places where i wish it weren't edgy but nonetheless Hiro ishi is a very skilled uh kind of exploitation genre director and uh uh you know what i mean you know Any any movie about somebody who who escapes from an asylum, you're already good. You're Mm. good to go. So that's that's the root of this movie. Horrors of malformed men. Lots of extras on here, including two commentaries. Um, with Japanese cinema experts Tom Mess and Mark Schilling. Very, very interesting. And then there's a, uh, a video interview called Malformed Movies with Toei Exploitation Movie screenwriter Masahiro Kakefuda. And he gives you all the background on Toei and this genre and who, how these films you know, were able to make money and how they got made. and It's pretty interesting.
1: Mm, interesting stuff. Uh, Saving Faith is a faith-based film about the necessity to save a woman named Faith.
0: Yeah, okay. <laughs> right. I guess. I guess that's. Yeah. yeah. Anyway,
1: yeah. And it is. It's a faith-based film. This is this woman, her name is Faith. She runs a um, theater. Bank is going to foreclose. Her wacky uncle pulls together a bunch of his old friends who are in the music business to throw a charity concert to save Faith. Uh, or her theater, anyway. A- anyway, um, y- it's also obvious that it uh, that it feels just like a you know an anvil on your face. It's what it feels like. It's just all so you know. And yeah. and I'm like, really, we're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna sit right on top of it, are we? And they're like, yeah, we're gonna sit right on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> and they do. And here comes Vince Gill and and uh, uh, Amy Grant and the Gatlin Brothers, all sort of face with you know. And they, and they and they perform these beautiful songs, and that's all lovely. And the music's nice. And okay, all right.
0: Good deal. Uh, oh, the last one from Arrow. Here's the one. So here's Arrow Academy. The Arrow Academy film is The Hired Hand. If you've never seen The Hired Hand, I gotta highly recommend this. So The Hired Hand was Peter Fonda's directing debut. Uh, he had done Easy Rider. This was, uh, you know, 19, about 1971. And he, he, was, he was becoming an icon. Yeah. But he went to a genre that his father was known for, right? He went to a genre that Henry Fonda had known for. He went and made a Western or Is directing you and it's a really interesting Western. It's a it's one of those revisionist Westerns that we're getting at the end of the '60s and, the, and beginning of the '70s. And you know, the history of Westerns is fascinating because it starts with all the big old shoot 'em ups in the '30s mm-hmm. and '40s, which are mostly serials, and you know, just there's lots of lots of cowboys and engines and kind of the traditional thing. And then it gets into an interesting place in the '50s and '60s. Henry Hathaway and John Ford start giving us these really very existential metaphysical Westerns mm-hmm. that are sort of meditations on the American frontier and how it disappeared, and these are guys who were old enough to remember when the frontier was subsumed by the you know the industrial revolution and and cities and suddenly it went away mm. uh, and by the late sixties and the early seventies we're getting westerns that are symbolic we're mm. We're getting into that revisionist western thing little big man yeah. And the hired hand is one of those uh, about a guy who basically abandons his his family to go and just kind of you know explore and maybe be a part of the wide open plains. And Which of course, it's a metaphor about
1: his own e- dad. Exactly. Thing, oh, it, you know? it is. It's it's so much. So, it's so much going on, man. It's so. There's so
0: <laughs> much going on. And then he comes back to his family to to basically get to know the daughter that he you know never knew and never really got to know and 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 to do right by his wife, and. It's a, it's a fascinating, fascinating story. It's beautifully made. It's, it's sad that Peter Fon had never really kind of pushed his filmmaking career any further because it could have been so interesting. And the thing is, this was shot by Vilmos Zygmunt mm. just uh, six years before he won his Oscar for uh, Close Encounters. And Zygmunt is one of the all-time geniuses with natural light. He's oh, so right writer.
1: Up- Vilmos, of course, shot. Uh, he's a writer.
0: Yes, and uh, and and he's just so it's he's so brilliant in this, and uh, the, the, it's, it just looks so beautiful. Zygmunt it, it's closer to what Zygmunt did for um, uh, for the Chimino film, Heaven Can Wait, oh, or, Heaven can wait uh, yeah. not Heaven Can Wait, uh, 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 Heaven's uh, Gate, Heaven's Gate. Thank yeah. you. Uh, Heaven's Gate, you know, Zygmunt's shot that as well, and it's you just the dust, the light comes yeah. through the and dust, the, and it's and just the, beautiful.
1: The, that was, the scale was gigantic. It's fantastic. That one, the Easy Ride so, this
0: up. feels more like that, and, uh, there's a, there's a great documentary on here that includes interviews with, uh, Zygmunt and, and, uh, Bruce Langhorne, who shot the score, and, you know, this deleted scenes, and a whole lot, bo- a whole lot of other really cool stuff on here, it, especially a, um... Uh, an audio recording of uh, from uh, ni- 1971 when the uh, when uh, at the National Film Theatre when Warren Oates and Peter Fonda uh, introduced the film. It's all really really good, and uh, you even get a reversible sleeve if you want to kind of change the artwork. So it's really wonderful. Arrow Academy, The Hired Hand, good mm-hmm. film. Interesting.
1: Uh, in case people don't remember or don't know easy Rider also a western latter day western. western it is the western
0: so is with Tony basil in it oh, yeah, and western. she's naked in a in, a, in, a, in a which is great by the psycho way. sequence
1: um I got a Rama mosley film here i uh I happen to know Rama Mosley wonderful little director directed a movie called the brass Teapot a few years ago this is That's called right. lost Child yeah um uh sort of a, a, a horror thriller about a battle about soldier comes home um uh and uh to his childhood home he has p t s d and he finds this boy wandering around in the woods. You know, takes the boy in. Weird kid. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, the, the people who talk about how the kids, uh, you know, the kid is uh, involved in some sort of evil forces that come out of the woods. <laughs> and so, and so you know, it sort of roams around that territory. Beautiful look at movie. You know, I, not not perfect by, by any means, but uh, moody, uh, well acted. Uh, okay. Special features include behind the scenes uh, footage.
0: Ruby. Uh, and then John Travolta, we talked about earlier, because he was in one of the uh, Punisher films. John Travolta made the horrible, horrible, dreadful mistake of wanting to play John Gotti in the movie Gotti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this thing lost its original distributor, and then it uh, it bounced around with its release dates. It just, it's, it just, it's just not good. Just not good. Yeah. I, I, I,
1: at, at some, at one point, it was set to this worst movie of the year, and then that uh, that Kevin. Um, Spacey movie came along, and that that was the worst movie of the year.
0: This is just unfortunate. It's (laughs) it's a well-intentioned biopic of John Gotti, but it winds up doing exactly what it never should have done, which is um, turning him into an icon and a hero, and nobody needs that. Uh, It it doesn't uh, mean to. It's just the way that it's made, it winds up doing that, and part of that is that, that Travolta's performance isn't very good. Uh, it's not modulated correctly. They never should have put such a familiar actor in the in the part. Um, there's a lot to say about John Gotti, but it it needs context, and uh, this film simply doesn't have it. It's on Blu-ray and digital if you're interested, but uh, you know I I can't recommend this. This is just one of the most misbegotten films of the year.
1: Yeah, oh, man, oh man, oh man. Uh, Timothy Chalamet, who of course made his wonderful debut in the, in in that film uh, uh, last year. Uh, the, the one with uh, you know,
0: where yeah. you the, and all that kind of. Thing. yeah, anyway, yeah. L- uh, uh, call me by your name. Call man. me by your name. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, in hot summer nights, I wish I liked this movie more than I did. Um, it's but it's fairly standard at the end of the day. Uh, set in the '80s, Cape Cod kid goes to uh Cape Cod uh, to hang out with people who are really out of his class, and uh, you know, it takes up selling weed uh to all the sort of rich people and some of the gangsters in the town. Gets in over his head, has a little love affair with a cute girl, and I don't know, it's all incredibly ordinary at the end of the day. Um, uh, so that, you know, that that's, that's what I have to say about that. Special features uh, include an including audio commentary with the director and um, yeah, a, a featurette.
0: Yeah. And we've got a big fistful of criterions this week. Uh, so the, here's where it starts. Uh, i got a couple from foreign directors, a Hollywood classic of old, and a Hollywood classic of new. Uh, let's get the foreign stuff out of the way here first first of all, uh, Olivier Assayas who has slowly worked his way to becoming one of the most beloved directors in the world um, made a film in 1994 called Cold Water now it was released here under the French title Le Froide but uh, Criterion is releasing it as Cold Water in its director approved edition Uh, 95 Sizzling Minutes this is where it all really kind of begins and it's semi-autobiographical takes place in the 1970s uh, when Assayas was growing up in Paris, and it's uh, it's a story of just teen lovers and uh, rebellion and a little bit uh, kind of uh, James Deaney rebel without a cause stuff. Uh, it's uh, it really is a, a, a very uh, you know I, 1994 is a period I know very very well in in France. Yeah. I went uh, that was my third year at the Cannes Film Festival. And, um, th- you know, it's, it just it captures a place and time, and it's beautifully made, and it's extremely well-crafted. Um, this is a 4K restoration, Blu-ray release, but originally restored on 4K, uh, supervised by Assayas. It includes a new interview with him, an interview with the cinematographer, a 1994 French television program on the film. It's really, really terrific. Uh, look, it's Criterion. You don't need me to recommend them. The other foreign one <laughs> is much more well-known, Ingmar Bergman's Scenes from a Marriage, finally on Blu-ray, previously on DVD for a very, very long time. As with the DVD version, this includes both the uh, nearly three-hour-long theatrical version and all five hours of the original television miniseries in, uh, in Sweden. You want to know why the Swedes are a depressed people? Why is that? Because watching five hours (laughs) of a marriage falling apart is just almost too much to take. Bergman. Um, It is just. It's so. It's so Bergman. It's just Bergman above and beyond. Anyway, uh, this was this was really 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 devastating on television. And uh, but it's it's you know what? It's still great. It's still great. And the performances are superb. It's basically watching two actors just absolutely kill it. Uh, Liv Ullman and Erline Josephson, who both of whom had worked with Bergman for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. It's like a. It. It. Everyone is communicating with everyone else in this thing in just a beautiful, wonderful way. All the same original extras are here. Uh, interviews from 2003. Uh, and Peter Cowie doing a uh, an interview where he does comparisons between the two films, so you you kind of understand where the TV version lets off and the the movie picks up. It's wonderful. Then we've also got My Man Godfrey, uh, directed by Gregory Lacava, a terrific 1936 Carol Lombard William Powell screwball comedy that is one of the definitive of the period. Uh, it's just fast dialogue, smart, smart performances. It's just it goes a mile a minute. It's so much fun. It's 93 minutes, it blazes by in about you know 800 miles an hour. It's absolutely wonderful. And uh, it's just one of the best scripts you will ever, ever see. There's a 1938 Lux radio theater adaptation that is included in the extras. And uh, there's a new program on here, a brand new program featuring jazz and film critic Gary Giddens. It's really, really fun. But here is what Criterion has given us as a grand gift this week. Tim, Tree of Life. Ah, Mr. Malick. Tree of Life is out. This is two Blu-rays. And you know Tim and I, we saw this film together. You, yeah. you and my wife and uh, and oh, I, great. we we yeah. all saw it at the DGA together. And I remember, I remember. You know, I know you like to say that you're you're a big mush. I'm a big mush. Oh, I man. cry when I talk about things. You were weeping in oh. the middle of this movie. No, that, that I remember that that that
1: that movie was. Uh, it was profound in a number of ways, particularly yep. the dynamic between Pitt and his son, between the boy and his father. Uh you know that movie that movie is the movie that made me wish my father was still alive. Yeah. So I could just tell him, "Dude, I love you too. Stop hitting me."
0: Well, what ha- what is uh, this is basically an all new version of it. There there is a um, mm. there well there there is there it's it's secondary. This is you you get the 139-minute film of course that won the Cannes Film Festival and was theatrically released. Uh but there's also a new version of it with an additional 50 minutes of footage. That is basically a new version of the film. It's not an expanded film. It's a new, hmm. it's a new take on the on this story and these characters that Malick just put together because he shoots more footage than any human being in, in in history. And as we all know, there were a lot of performances that got were cut out of his previous yeah. films. Uh, Thin Red Line has entire, you know, you you look at that and you, I mean, there are actors, Bill Pullman. Yeah, was Bill He's not in the movie. He's yeah. not in the movie Nobody anymore. Knows, yeah. Cut him out. Uh, Adrian Brody was originally supposed to be the centerpiece of that movie, and he, he's almost a minor character. In it. Yeah, so so Malik like this moved is... Moved arbitrarily
1: to Jim Caviezel.
0: So that's what Malik does. But any, in any case, uh, lo- this is just absolutely wonderful. It is a fantastic transfer from, uh, from 4K. And uh, they say it was a digital restoration. Not really a restoration. The film's too recent to be re- need to be restored. But mm-hmm. uh, there's a really, really great interview on here about the uh, use of classical music in it with uh, Alec Ross. And uh, it's, you know, there's a, a 2011 documentary on it and some wonderful stuff, new interviews. It's just great. Tree of Life in two different versions. From Criterion.
1: Mm, well, shall I do a little Jess Franco? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah let's, little do these, the,
0: anyway. let's
1: do uh, Thank you for letting me do these, Jess Franco. Um, uh, Jess Franco makes movies uh, about uh, warrior barbarian chicks in, like, uh, bikinis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sort of leather, feather, uh, your, your fur, bikinis, that kind of stuff. Um, the first one here, um, uh, Diamonds of Kilimanjaro. Um, oh, what can you say? Robert Forrester is in this movie, which, you know, that tells you something about the way a career can go. Um, uh, but it's a, it's kind of neat. A group of adventurers head off to the sort of a primitive tribe in Africa to find the treasure of diamonds, uh, and they're also looking for this beautiful white girl, and it says that specifically in the box, a beautiful white girl uh, who was lost years ago and made the tribe's goddess, because that's what they do with white girls in Africa. Uh, they make them the goddess. Anyway, it's a lot of fun uh, and completely insane. Uh, but uh, it's Jess Franco. The other one is not actually directed by Jess. It was directed by, uh, well, I, I, he goes in the name of James Garner, but he's actually um, a, a, a an Italian director named Alan Peyet. Um, this too is a is <laughs> <it's> about women <laughs> raised by a tri- by a tribe of Amazon. And you, you, look, they're all the same. These movies doesn't really make any difference what they're about. <laughs> the point of it is it's going to be some really really cute girls in tiny little furry bikinis running around fighting like warriors and kicking ass and taking names i
0: used to make fun of just franco and i can't do it anymore cuz you know what he was gainfully employed for yeah. years and made more movies than yeah. almost anybody else who's ever worked in any industry so i i can't fault him made a worked.
1: movie every 20 minutes pretty much all the same movie
0: can't fault him I got a few from the Warner Archive Collection here. One on DVD-R, and the other two on Blu-ray. They are all manufactured on demand. Uh, The Playboy and the Peasant is the one that's on DVD-R. This is an old MGM film based on a short story. uh, That is, you know, this is late thirties, late thirties period. It is, um, it's, it's fine. It kind of dates a little bit. Um, It's. I don't want to say it's like the 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 uh, the Prince and the Pauper, but it kind of is. It's sort of one of those, you know, comparisons of class and uh, you know the scullery maid and and the uh, all the people who have all the they sort of fulfill all these roles that we see in things like uh, Downton Abbey and yeah. Upstairs Downstairs, and you know it 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 meant to sort of give uh, Depression era audiences something to look at, see themselves in, something to hope for. Um, it's, it's an okay film, um, based on, uh, based on the, uh, 1936 Austrian film, Catherine the Last as well. Um, uh, so, you know, it's, uh, it's fine. You know, you're watching this basically for, for just the kind of nostalgia of the period. Um, the two Blu-rays, are the ones I really, really want to talk about, the, uh, the Naked and the Dead is an old Technicolor, oh, yeah. uh, melodrama war film. Uh, what I love about this is they went and they took a, a chunk of the old poster, the original poster, and they built that onto the artwork for the cover oh, so yeah. it 's using the and this is what was really interesting. they used to do this a lot at the time, so the title of the film plays into the tagline the the name of the film is "The Naked and the Dead." but the tagline, which they adjust at to the top, is "The Bigness and the Boldness of the <laughs> no, Naked. naked. And, and the, the dead. dead. It's fantastic. It's great. <laughs> That's clever. It's so clever. It's really, really fantastic. This was an RKO film directed by Rebel Walsh, who, of course, did many cool. great macho movies and, uh, and, and war films. And uh, it's based on a Norman Mailer novel. Uh, screenplay by, let me point out, uh, my old film school uh, instructor my first instructor in film school yeah. co-wrote, co-wrote the screenplay Terry Sanders with, oh. his, uh, with his late brother Dennis oh. uh, so Terry Sanders co-wrote this and co-adapted it Terry would go on to win an Academy Award for a short film and has done many fine documentaries um, but yeah you know it's a it's just a, it's a little bit like the uh, the Big Red One Raymond Massey and Cliff Robertson uh, f- you know n- disagreeing on how to run the platoon all takes place during the war in the Pacific Uh and, uh, you know, it's Aldo Ray and James Best. There's just a lot of great faces in here. LQ Jones, Richard Jekyll. It's a no, good Richard film. Jekyll. It's a good film. Uh, it's a late 1950s film, and uh, it's really, really solid. Raul Walsh can do no wrong in my eyes. The Last Hunt uh, with Robert Taylor and Stuart Granger. Uh, I have a funny Stuart Granger story as well. Uh, this is a Western. Uh, it's a perfectly serviceable Western. Beautifully shot. Wonderful, wonderful Um uh, uh, Technicolor uh, cinema uh Cinematography Very nicely done uh, Robert Taylor not necessarily my favorite actor uh, Stuart Granger I, uh, Here's my Stuart Granger story So when I was a, an usher at the National Theater once, I remember Stuart Granger uh, Coming up to the, um, uh, the manager of the theater mm. And basically trying to get in free <laughs> and, and, uh, and It was a very awkward conversation the, uh, he, he, you know, the manager said Yes how can I help you And he said well I'd, uh, I'd like to come and see the movie which was his way of saying, I'm, I'm a star. You're supposed to let me in free. You're yeah. supposed to give me privilege. And he said, well, you can buy a ticket, and then I can let you in ahead of the line. And I was like... I'll Which is special. actually pretty nice. Which is, I guess, pretty nice. But it's still, I don't know if I would have had the cones the, the to sort of you know, yeah. talk to Stuart Granger that way. I'm not sure the manager even knew who Stuart Granger was. Yeah. Uh, he knew he was somebody. But in any case, uh, so there you go. Um the, this was all shot in uh, Custer State Park in North Dakota, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a Western. What do you want? Uh, it's got all kinds of Native Americans played by people who aren't Native American, but it's perfectly, it's perfectly <laughs> enjoyable. It's just beautifully shot. It's not a great film, but it's really all about the photography, and the Blu-ray does a great job of it.
1: What are you going to do? What are you going to do? do? A solo, a Star Wars story, which is about three-quarters of a pretty good movie, three-quarters of a pretty good Western.
0: He ain't Harrison Ford. But he's no Harrison Ford. He's no Harrison he, Ford. He, the,
1: the weird thing is, uh, all of these people are by measure actually physically smaller and less, oh, not just imposing, but um, uh, they, they they physically don't have the stature right. of the people that they're playing. Yeah. So, you know, Donnell Glover here playing uh, Lando Calrissian, Billy yeah. Williams. Billy Williams like six foot two. Yeah. Play play Gail Sayers and Brian, uh, yeah, saw, yeah, you right. know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Donald Glover's like you know, you're know, five feet tall or something. Yeah. I don't know, whatever. But it's was yeah, ridiculous. It's, it's the same, same thing with Aaron. Aaron you yeah. know, he's, he's a perfectly nice guy and everything. With the chin, the jaw and all, he's like five ten. Yeah. Harrison Ford's six four. Yeah. And you can feel the literal actual weight not there with yeah, these guys. True. And then there's the way they play it uh, in this movie.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I don't like these guys. <laughs> I like, I love my, you know, yeah, my, my these, but the, but these characters here in this movie, I don't like this guy. None of these people would be friends. But so Chewbacca is okay. Uh, he, he but, well, you no, know, but you yeah. know,
0: no, you just put a guy in a suit. Yeah. Here's, here's kind of my fundamental problem with this is you, you're building this film around things that were hinted at in Star Wars previously, mm. and what was fun. When you hear them talking about all this stuff that happened, you know, previously. Remember Chewy when we did this and that and the other thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, You know, the, 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 with the what's-it-run. Yeah. Which becomes the centerpiece of yeah, this thing. They're, 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 they're yeah,
1: they're in two parsecs or something. Yeah.
0: And, and that's fun because we fill that in with our imagination. Mm-hmm. It's a second-hand... Kind of shorthand that they're using with each other, and you're like, and you, and you feel like they're kind of winking at you. Mm-hmm. Now we are literally filling in all the blanks. Yeah. So now I can't watch Star Wars and hear those references without thinking. Of this movie.
1: Think about something that's and, not particularly engaging in this I movie.
0: I don't really appreciate that. Yeah, I didn't need it. You know, so, look, one but good the chase chase scene, scene. The, but yeah. the the yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the train, the, rock, the train, the r- train yeah. rocket kind of thing. That's yeah. a great sequence. Yeah. That's uh, a great sequence.
1: Uh, uh, Ultra D, uh, Ultra 4K HD Blu-ray, eight deleted scenes, uh, director's round. Table uh, becoming a droid, into the uh, all kinds of stuff on this on the Blu-ray uh, for you to check out and get behind the movie if you happen to be a super fan of the Star Wars a
0: series. Uh, from Flicker Alley, we have another great Blu-ray. It's a classic noir, The Man Who Cheated Himself. Uh, this is a this is one of the the this is one of those great noirs that just um, kind of disappears because there are so many noirs that are loaded with stars. We we tend to kind of focus on everything that has Bogart or. Uh, or or Cagney or whoever it might be, uh, but this is a this is a really really terrific one, uh, shot in on on location in San Francisco and just lots of it just really you know Lee J Cobb just kills it as a homicide detective and great twists and turns in this thing. Uh, this was one of those perfect Warner Brothers noirs from the late noir period in 1950. Um, so it's getting. It's getting a little bit less uh, Chandler and a little more Kane, ah. if that makes sense. Yeah, just, but anyway, it's, 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 it's a great movie. Um, wonderful restoration from the uh, UCLA Film and Television Archives, part, part of the Film Noir Foundation series through Flickr Alley. You've got to get it. Uh, it's got a bunch of uh, extras on it as well, mostly trailers and featurettes and then a souvenir booklet, but it's a really good Blu-ray.
1: Mm, neat. Uh, as we approach Halloween, here's a pretty decent little movie, Found Footage 3-D. This is a neat little horror film. I like to sort of concede that it's horror film. So you have these people, and what they're about to do is uh, do the first found footage film, horror film, made from all 3D images, right? Yep. Uh, So it's a fake film, uh, a found footage film shot on 3D. They hire this guy to shoot the the behind-the-scenes of their making of this found footage film. So you got a found footage film with a guy making a documentary about the found footage film in 3D, right? Yep. In the guy's documentary, his behind-the-scenes documentary, an evil spirit starts to show up, and kill the people making the found footage film. So you've got this sort of like ultra-meta layered little thing going on here, a 3D film with found footage, and then this found footage, you got this guy who's killing the people making that film uh, because this guy is making the the behind-the-scenes. Anyway, it's kind of, yeah, it's like that. Um, It's actually kind of fun. What's neat is this. 3D retro glasses are included in this Blu-ray pack, and it also says no 3D glasses are necessary to watch these films. Oh. So <laughs> I think that's they give you the glasses until you don't actually need them. Uh, it's 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 kind of neat. Commentary with the director, Stephen D. and a couple of the producers. It is fun though, check it out.
0: Found footage 3D. And uh then we got a couple of uh, a little more in the magical supernatural realm, a couple of blu-rays. To me, more is the seventh sign. I don't remember liking anything about this movie, yeah. and it's um, it was kind of in that that late '80s moment when she, you know, the it, like it's we're around Ghost at this mm-hmm. time too, mm-hmm. and she's got she's sort of in she's got such star power she could do anything, and for some reason she decided to do this, and uh, I don't know it's one of those it's one of those supernatural apocalypse movies that just doesn't really hang together. Um, Carl Schultz directed it, I don't even remember who Carl Schultz was. Uh, Ted Field who you know was was one of the producers on it Robert Court I mean a lot of people who were kind of figures from that time Yeah uh, there's a you know a few extras on here uh, yeah, it, it has in fact oddly
1: become something of a cult classic among why. people who like those sort of you know I remember it at the time Rosemary's Babies kind of things like that What I liked but about it was Demi Moore was cute as hell I was
0: much more favorably inclined toward a movie that everyone else also hated Hocus Pocus which is um, out in a uh, yeah. an anniversary edition now uh, look, the only thing I like about Hocus Pocus is it, this is a little bit like uh, Charmed on television, mm-hmm. except it has uh, three actresses who are more experienced, two of them much less attractive. Yeah. <laughs> and better actresses. Uh, Bette Midler, young, Sarah, young,
1: young Sarah Jessica Parker.
0: Young Sarah Jessica Parker, along with Bette Midler and Kathleen Ajime, uh all done up, just kind of doing the, uh, doing a really, they're just chewing the scenery as witches. It's it, it, This was a Disney film, and it was meant to be overboard and, and silly, and... Uh, you know, the, the trying to these women are trying to sort of get their youth back, casting spells and and you know it, whatever it's fine. You're watching, you're basically watching this for three actresses just uh, just chewing the scenery, and mostly most of that is Bette Midler because mm. Bette Midler acts so infrequently at the time when this movie is made that she just she she puts about five movies worth of performance into it. Anyway, this comes with a whole bunch of extras on it, um, mostly kind of deleted scenes and trivia and. You know, uh, there's a cast and crew commentary, which is all kind of edited together, storyboards, and the original 1993 featurette. But it's still a fun film.
1: Yeah. They made another one. It was a Hocus Pocus 2. Yeah. Uh, That's how good that was. The X-Files, the complete 11th seasons, with 90 minutes of new content on Blu-ray, including a uh, 25th year um, um, uh, retrospective of of the original series. So this is the 11th series, uh, 11th season, 10 episodes, 3 discs. Um where they more or less try to rebuke the ser- the series, you know, Scully, Mulder. Uh, still trying to find the truth, because the truth is still out there. <laughs> and it always will be. <laughs> and it Damn sure always will be, as long as they can make these movies. Yeah. I'll, tell, I'll tell you this, Dana Scully looks great in this. Uh, 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 and they're mostly looking for their son across these ten episodes. Their son is out there, somebody else is looking for their son. The same questions. Uh, uh, it, there are a few moments across these ten that are really, really funny two or three episodes that that really were interesting to me, one or two episodes, which sort of tied some things up that that went back to those earlier seasons and spoke to some stuff that I thought was pretty neat. All in all, was it necessary to do a complete 11th season of The X-Files? No, 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 it was not. No, 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 it was not. But there it is for you anyway. Uh, 90 minutes of uh, new content on the Blu-ray.
0: Uh, so we got a couple from CBS and Paramount. Uh, the fourth season of NCIS New Orleans. Can't believe that's made it to a fourth season. But uh, you know, we were just talking about him today, weren't we, Tim? Oh my goodness, yes, Scott Bakula. Scott Bakula. Bakula. Yeah. Scott Bakula I man forgot who, about that one. He just anchored. We know we were talking about all the shows that it was yeah. Scott Bakula. You just yeah. plug him Back into one the show. Back to Quantum Leap, Enterprise. I all forgot about this one with the New Orleans. You just yeah. you plug him into a show, and somehow it becomes viable. So we wanted to do a new NCIS. Who, uh, what TV actor has not worked in uh, in a minute and a half? Scott Bakula. Plug him in. Next thing you have a show. Uh, but you know what? It's, it's just like all the rest of them, except it has New Orleans as a backdrop, and they throw do a lot of special New Orleans stuff in it. Anyway, fourth season, just like all the others. This is the one I don't get. Uh, Dynasty. They rebooted Dynasty. 22 episodes, yeah. season one, with Grant Show playing Blake Harrington. Yeah, Grant okay. from
1: the original Melrose. Melrose Place. Place.
0: So, uh, Grant's lost his looks a little bit, but he looks kind of like John Forsythe yeah. after he lost his looks. After he still, lost his looks, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I guess we need we need this again, no. do we? No, no, we don't. No, we don't. No, we don't. Okay. No, anyway, doesn't really work. I, I, I was actually surprised this even existed. When this when this showed up in, in the mail, I was like, they rebooted Dynasty? Yeah. How did I not know that? Yeah. Well, I you want... know, they
1: rebooted Dallas a few years ago. Well, they, the, extended, they it. extended it. They extended it. Again. Yeah, it wasn't a reboot. It was the
0: new generation. And then yeah. Larry Hagman had the temerity to go and die on
1: yeah, it. Yeah, and they were like, oh, okay, he screwed it yeah Hilarium. um gifted the complete first season i watched this uh, season of, of gifted uh, gifted is um uh, includes characters from the uh, from the x men universe. Uh, And generally speaking, it's about this family who finds out that their kids have mutant abilities. We're just beginning to find out that we live in a world where people have mutant abilities. And and those organizations start to to crop up, uh, run by the government, who have to gather together these mutants. And this family, uh, it by a guy who runs one of those organizations, finds out that their two children have these abilities and have to go on the run. You know, this was an okay series, uh, uh, arcing toward the young, I think. Um, uh, rather than toward uh, more adult um, entertainment-inclined uh, um, uh, superhero watchers. But I, I thought it was pretty cool. I uh, rather enjoyed it. Uh, this is a three-disc set uh, with the entire complete first season.
0: So, uh, Midsummer Murders, Series 20. So, if you really, honestly need for me to describe what happens in Series 20 of Midsummer Murders, you're out of your mind. <laughs> it's been on the air. It, Twenty seasons of this thing. Uh, six mysteries here. It continues to be pretty much the same thing. It's always been on Blu-ray. There's one I want to mention in particular, which is the uh, mystery. Send in the clowns, which has evil clowns. Evil clowns. <laughs> uh, I, I, that, it, it's got. It's come to this after 20 years, with the circus comes to town and we got evil, evil clowns. It's fantastic and then uh also want to make quick mention before we run out of time of uh, DC's Legends of Tomorrow the complete third season which is great because it has a great old fabulous uh, crossover episode with Flash and Supergirl and Arrow yeah, uh, it's that episode. it's the, it's, the, it's this epic it's this epic one that i it's, it it's really good and Legends of
1: tomorrow's got to be the dumbest among it's these it's a series. dumb
0: show but that crossover which that it crossover is yeah, great I love it, yeah. so uh, that's terrific and um I guess with that, we are done. So, uh, Mark, we should point out. Yes. Mark is coming back to town. Yes. Mark's just got a job. It's his old job. He's been temporarily (laughs) hired back at his old job for for three months. So, Mark is going to be in LA for three months. So, we're going to have him guest on the show a few times. Yep, yep. And uh, we'll have more on that next week. We'll